This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. And I'm Julie from Forgotten Classics Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hey, guys. Hello. Right. Well, this week we've all read Assam and Darjeeling. I'm almost finished. I'm not quite finished reading it. By T.M. Camp. (laughs) Right? So, uh, Julie was the first one who encountered this book. Um, Did you find it at patiobooks.com? I actually found it at um, just in iTunes. Okay, so is, looking is through it their literature, in maybe I was incorrect. But uh, well, I, it may. You know, I wonder if it. I don't think it got put onto Patio Books. I don't think it, it is on Patio Books. No. Okay. No. Yeah, I although probably some of the podcasts it should as well. be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read it yeah. uh, in print, but I, I listened to some of the podcast. Yeah, I found it on iTunes, and I was so enchanted by it that I just couldn't quit listening. And at the end, I was waiting for him to put out the installments. Uh-huh. So I guess that was a couple years ago when that went up, and yeah, then I now think there's a yeah, and so now there's a print version mm-hmm. with an endorsement. I haven't been captured that way uh, with a book yet. I'm, uh, you know, uh, an installment book, or what do you call that? Uh, serial? Serialized? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. haven't. I haven't really enjoyed one of those yet i mean or or listened to one where i just couldn't wait for them to keep coming out um so oh. this one this one i got to download the entire thing at once so <laughs> so i didn't have <laughs> to wait um well but, i i found i found uh i can see why julie you know needed to get the paper book because uh i found it rather frustrating listening to the audiobook uh just cuz it it is one chapter a week and uh, even though I'm getting it much later, some of the chapters are like one minute long, or, or they're an interlude or something. And I, oh, can you imagine? You know, <laughs> you get yeah. one minute, and then next week you get 28 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do hope that he edits it into one audiobook because uh, listening to it is a little difficult at this point because every chapter you've got a, a long musical opening and a long. Closing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, closing and a copyright and- notice and he did a good job of trying to make those i guess entertaining um and they're some of them are quite funny uh or you know yeah i think they're all supposed to be funny and but the problem mm-hmm. is, is even though there's maybe five or six different copyright notices you know hearing it back to back hour after hour it's like <laughs> no, just need to skip it and with with the short the short length you know you get a one minute one and then a 28 minute one it's terrible if you're driving around and that's where I do a lot of my my listening is, you know, at places where yeah. I've got my hands full of car or something. Well, and I don't I don't know how it worked when it came out. Of course, there were the beginning and ending, and I didn't mind because, you know, I was sucked in, so I didn't care. But um, I think he may have had, you know, those really short ones may have come out at the same week as something longer. That's possible. I'd have to look at the dates on iTunes. But uh, the other the other serious serious issue this uh, audio book has is the volume is way too low. I can't stress how low this is. I I, I couldn't listen to it in any environment where there was any sound at all. Even on my playing it through iTunes on my speaker, I have to jack up my speaker to the maximum settings to get it at oh really a, a normal level. 
Well, he I know he said recently that he was going to remaster it mm. and re-record it because he realized how bad the sound was on some of it. And I think that got stalled some because they have a new baby in the house. Mm. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah which, to, um, say some positive about the audio too. Yeah, I was I, like, um, I thought he's an amazing uh, reader. I yeah, I think he's reader. a terrific, terrific narrator. Um, my yeah. only problem with the audio, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't listen to the entire thing. I read most of it in print, but I sampled his uh, narration. So I never had. I guess I wasn't listening to it in the same environments as Jesse because I didn't notice a volume problem. But um, my only problem with the audiobook is that it, it was really slow. I felt that he, he, is, was, he is a slow he was just reader. A slow, deliberate reader. Time. But I yep. thought that he was a terrific narrator, a really top-notch narrator. He's an excellent narrator, excellent reader, performer, mm-hmm. um, and he performs his book extremely well. And not not to mention the, the the book itself yet, but just that performance was you know almost audiobook quality. It's it's you know a professional narrator quality. He's quite a fine performer. Um, but the the volume level is so low, like I I couldn't have water running, I couldn't wow. uh, be driving. If there, you know, if I was parked, it's okay. If there's no cars or anything nearby, but I don't use earbuds. I just use regular headphones, and that lets in all the other sound. And it, you know, it's not inside your ear. So, uh, you know, I guess for Maybe a lot of that's... people, it's no problem. How do you? How did you listen to it? I used earbuds or my car radio or and I don't remember noticing that problem but I just may not have been in the same environment as you either cuz I've run into that in other podcasts or things where you know you're just driving along going the air conditioner turned on I can't hear it anymore yeah, so exactly. and I you know he did I do, I do know he said as I mentioned that he's going to remaster it so this may be something that a lot of other people experienced Sure um, and as to the Scott saying, you know, he reads uh, very slowly and deliberately, it's true, but uh, the good news is you can use the double speed, and it works just fine. I, I was yeah. using double speed for the majority of the, the book, and it comes out almost to the right. It's a little too fast, but it's, it's uh, you know, yeah. notice it after a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I use my iPod for listening, um, not my iPhone, and I noticed that the iPhone has the the you know run double speed whenever you want to but my iPod seems to do that only for audiobooks so hmm. i would i would have to um, i guess i could change the file type in iTunes and then resync the the iPod in order to get that capability um, if anybody oh, okay. knows any different i would love to hear that but um, the iPod i can't seem to do that unless um, it's an audiobook it's been, I, it's been a while since I've had one of them, but I, I do remember uh, that that feature has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that it was only. It might not be available on podcasts. It might be only audiobooks. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I've never used it. I just oh, go with what they give me. <laughs> well, it's it's a handy <laughs> handy device when you're trying to ram a lot of stuff in your ears. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, trying to finish. Well, should we say what the book's about now yeah, that we've yeah, told let's everybody yeah, let's all talk about, about the, the audio? Book, <laughs> the, the book is terrific. So, yeah, let's let's talk about it. So, Julie, would you like to uh, summarize it for us, please? Um, well, it's almost – it's a very simple concept, really. It's two children and their mother are in a car accident. And the children somehow find that they are – spirits perhaps although they're still connected to their bodies they know where they are and they are able to tell that 
their mother can also be found kind of in spirit form, but very far away. And so they decide they're going to go rescue her and all go back to their bodies. Does that make sense? Yep, it sure does. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, they wind up finding the underworld, which is exactly what we would think. It's that vision of Hades with the boatman and giving him the coin to get in the boat and go on the river Styx. Yeah, it's and it's, it's eerily similar to uh, to you know a couple of books I've been reviewing lately, uh, the Inferno and Escape from Hell. It's very par- it's a very parallel story. Modern people going into into hell and or Hades or wherever the underworld and trying to I guess get out. But the difference is that's a science that's a science fiction author in, in hell, and this is a couple of kids. I guess one's in grade two and the others in maybe grade four. Five. Something like that, yeah. And the interesting thing is the mixture. Once they get down there, it's basically every kind of mythology you can imagine is what they encounter on this quest to save their mother. Right. So, yeah, and that's, that, that's it captured it me pretty much immediately. Was um, you know the the modern people, and I haven't read Inferno, um, either either one Dante's it. Dante's yeah. or the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so Dante's Inferno is something I've always wanted to read, but just have never done it. Um, it's but this, wonderful. The, the, one of the things that this book did is, is made me want to read. I want. I want to read Dante's Inferno. I want to read uh, the Greek myth. Um, uh, like and Persephone. Virgil's. It, yeah, and, Virgil's Aeneid also. I mean, that's Virgil is is Dante's guide, right? And Virgil uh-huh. is the author of the first. Uh, the first uh, Roman version of that trip, the underworld, uh, Aeneas goes into the underworld. And so it's, oh, it, it's okay. all connected. It's all uh-huh. connected. And, and so this is in the grand tradition uh, you know, of great literature. Right. Uh, yeah, and at one point, as you say, they do even find, I mean, Dante's infer- pieces of that. Because I did read Inferno, which is what made me want to read Dante's Inferno, which I read and was really liked. So great, um, yeah. Um, in the acknowledgments for the book, um, T.M. Camp says, uh, "I would be remiss if I did not begin by acknowledging the massive debt I owe to Dante Allegri, Ovid, Jacob, and Wilhelm Grimm, and all those nice people who keep the mythology entries on Wikipedia up to date." <laughs> Allegri, Dante Allegri, Allegri, Allegri. Allegri. Yeah. So um, that's right. I, I recognize Dante Alighieri. I recognize Ovid. <laughs> but what about Grimm? How did Grimm? Uh, how was he? Uh, what what Grimm's fairy tales were in this? I thought maybe the one where the with the witch making the stew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I don't know a specific story, but that's just so that, reminiscent of all of them. Is Hansel and Gretel a uh, Grimm fairy tale? I, I think so. Yes. Okay. If it is isn't, that, it should be. Yeah. yeah. So it. it I guess, yeah, that, I could see that in there. But it was fun. Part of the fun of this book is everybody, all the characters have different names than uh, they would have in Ovid's book or uh, the Grimm fairy tales. So you could Winterly. kind of tell, but yeah, Winterly. Um, but you can yeah. tell who they were, even though, you know, I'm not up. You know, I had Greek mythology in college, so it's been since then um, that I've, you know, it's been a long time. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I'm familiar enough with the stories to say, you know, this sounds very familiar. And rather, it wasn't a negative at all. It was a positive. 
and, you know, seeing this familiarity and having these modern children encountering these things that are, you know, really pretty old um, was really interesting. Yeah, well, it, and- was, it was a nice, you know, every every time they went somewhere else, there was a nice surprise to be found. And, and it, it is it feels very, like, contemporary. Uh, and, and it almost feels like a comedy in some places, but it's also the pacing makes it quite... Uh, Scary, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some, you know, speaking of the word grim, there were some grim parts in this thing. <laughs> um, it's it's not, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't have a problem with my kid reading, you know, my 10-year-old even, you know, although it's a big book for a 10-year-old. It's a very big book for a 10-year-old. Yeah. But there are, some, there are some grim things that happen, some really difficult things, um, graphic things. But I don't, yeah, but some kids, kids don't really think about them the way we do a lot of the time. Uh-huh. No. Depending on what the things are, um, although, oh shoot, I lost they my train. Of they don't think they're going to be traumatized by that, a lot of the stuff that you think they're going to be traumatized by. They're more <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, that's cool. Oh, neato. I, I right? point Just, to uh, Coraline yeah. by um, Neil Gaiman. Right. right. The kids generally watch that and say, "Oh, that was kind of cool," and parents watch it and are horrified, <laughs> or or right. read it. Or read it. Or read it uh, yeah. I had some young kids reading it, and mm-hmm. they thought it was cool. They didn't. They didn't think there was anything. I mean, the the needles in the eyes. You know, it's scary, yeah. but it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not like somebody's actually pointing them into their eyes, right? It's, right, right. it's very abstract. <laughs> oh yeah, and then you think about the part with the fox. You know, mm-hmm. um, which one of the things that I found interesting in this book is they're facing peril at various times from some of the characters that they encounter who are out of the place we would expect to see them, like a Grimm's fairy tale or pieces of Dante's Inferno. But then you also have um, two people who seem to be pursuing them. One is, it's Edwin, isn't that it? A little Edgar, Edgar, thank you. (laughs) And read it for just a little while. Um, Edgar, who is a boy, but a boy who's incredibly old because he makes references to having come from a much longer ago time before he got down to the underworld and just stayed the age he is. He's almost like Gollum in a way. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so he leaves you with great apprehension because no one can be as cruel as a kid and he just doesn't seem to care about a lot of things. And you don't know what his agenda is. And then there's also the person who, uh, Juniper. Juniper, right. Who, he's part of those interludes, and he's doing creepy things with jars with, with yeah. eyes in them. Water and, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he's also keeping an eye on them, and you're not sure for a long time what's going on. And when you find out that he's actively possibly pursuing them also – then the anxiety just starts to grow even more because once you've read that far into the book, you know this author, he's not above doing whatever it takes to make the story work the way it should. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Joss Whedon. Somebody needs to be killed off? Fine. That's well, how the logic goes, I'm you know? highly impressed with the writing. It's, it feels yeah. very polished. It doesn't feel like, you know, a first-time novelist. I, I, it looks like he's got a, at least one other book out there, but the the writing level you you can see sort of see that he he's got a um a confidence in his own writing that mm-hmm. is beyond the you know the the first first tier of you know this is my first book sort of thing so if if he hasn't written, written a lot of other novels that are for sale that there's probably a bunch in the drawer because he feels very confident in in the the way he tells the story 
the way he writes it. And you can sort of hear it in in the in the podcast as well. Um, you know, I would read another book by this author without question. Yeah, just I would too. Because the, yeah. the the level is very high. Yeah, I listened to Matters of Mortology when mm-hmm. he podcast that, and it was much shorter, and it almost, to me, felt like a prelude for something else. Mm-hmm. It was a good little, it was a multi-chapter, I believe, but to me it felt like a short story or a novella mm-hmm. that he needed to take somewhere else, but it was just as well done and just as interesting to listen to. And then I saw that he said he has a forthcoming Pantheon, and then he says, well, because of the baby, that's why I say forthcoming. So he's he's working on it. But he's got a podcast where he reads short stories that are kind of from the drawer, as you're saying, Jesse, and that's called um, The Gospel of Thomas, Thomas for TM Camp. Uh-huh. And um, I think he just got the sixth story up there, and he, he said um, when he was talking about that one that – he thought the the concepts were pretty good, but he looked at the writing and he just said, "Well, I had to rewrite the whole thing." Huh. So it's essentially right. a new story right, that right. he wrote, and it was good too. Short story, but I, I want to see another novel from him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, how many pages is it? Because I'm getting very distorted numbers just from the the podcast link. Because a lot of uh, a lot 396. of three hundred and ninety six. Oh, so it's pretty chunky. Yeah. Yeah, because those little interludes are just things where there's one page with a couple of paragraphs in the middle, and then you go on. But most of it's and the type's not big. Dozens and dozens of chapters, maybe eighty chapters or something like that. So yeah, it does break up into many little little chunks. But I I was fooled at first because I just downloaded book one, and (laughs) and I didn't realize you know it's book one within a book, right? And I guess he's oh. he's getting that from uh, you know a traditional book length um, mm-hmm. uh, style of writing, and so I downloaded book one and wait the story's not even finished yet. Uh, okay, and I looked and then we got like five or six days left. And, oh no, <laughs> it's like <laughs> more books eighty I'm or ninety done. episodes, right? <laughs> so, uh, don't be fooled. Get get the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, we definitely need if we're going to have an audio book version of. That people are gonna, you know, be able to listen to in the car. That there def- definitely needs to be a remaster because it's just way too quiet. Um, well, maybe by books or something even. Well, you get you get the paper book for sure. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna say too, though? The um, I I also thought it was interesting because I was asking him. Jesse, you said you've gotten to book four, so that's past where they encountered that fox, which I mentioned a little while ago. And I kept thinking, because as you guys said, you come to a new character and you immediately start going through your mental mythology list. Who could this be? What could this be connected to? And the fox, I kept thinking Japanese mythology, and I don't know why. So I wrote to him today. Uh And he's very approachable, really nice guy. And he said that the fox started off, I suspect, as a direct influence from Cage Johnson, K-I-J Johnson's excellent. Cage Johnson, okay. The Fox Woman, which is set in feudal Japan. And he says, I didn't plan on the fox. She was just there, nosing in the garbage cans when Assam and Sarah step outside. And the only reason she speaks poor French, is because that's what happened when she opened her mouth and started talking. Uh Wild animals are like that, unpredictable. Uh 
and which kind of gives you an idea of the sense of whimsy he'll inject. But he, um, it made me interested because I've been reading a lot of things on Blackgate and some other places lately where they talk about how you've really got to have your characters set mentally, and that's when they start surprising you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that kind of connected to that same concept for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have understood what he meant by, you know, it just started talking. Yeah, that, so that, that story, the Kids Johnson story, is based on um, uh, some uh, story, Japanese stories. So it, it does have a basis in mythology, not just in Kids yes. Johnson's, um, you know. Yeah, I looked it up. Or, yeah, and, and then I started looking up um, foxes in Chinese and Japanese mythology, and there was nothing that was exactly like you know, his use, of course, but they're common characters in those mythology groups in terms of sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they'll take on human form or some other form. Um, none of them act exactly the way this one did, which was to me very fox-like, although horrific. There's a uh, story I've been working on for the website uh, about the fox and the grapes. This is uh, Aesop's fable. I very, love that very story. Short, very short mm-hmm. And that's what I was thinking of while I was listening. Now, it doesn't actually tie in that much to what's in the book, but that's, you know, that's what came to mind for me. I didn't know about the Kids Johnson book. And uh, I think that's, it, it's just a fox is a traditional mythology uh, mm-hmm. character. So I just assumed that, that that's, where, that's where it was coming from. It seemed very natural. There's also the jackal in the in the cafe, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. But I put that down to Egyptian mythology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And he was just seemed so rooted in mythologies of different sorts that that's why I asked him. Because also when um, he came to Sarah, or, or I was asking about Sarah, because I kept thinking, unless there's something in Celtic mythology with people with antlers in their heads, I just don't know who this could be. And so I asked him about her, and he said he had that character before he had the god, so to speak. So he started looking around for a suitable name, and he came across a deity named, I'm sure I'm murdering this, Serunos. And uh, he liked the connection, and a little note that he found is that that character might have started off as a female deity. And he said, hey, hey. And he said that's the only point where he cheated. (laughs) He kind of cheated a little. He said um, everything else didn't happen that way. Uh, so I sent I sent you guys a link to Hearn the Hunter. That's that's the character that uh, I I thought of. Now Hearn is is a guy, but it's an English traditional sort of forest god. Um, and, yeah, and when I and see you're so much cleverer than I am because when I looked up that Sir Nunos, uh, mm-hmm. one of his manifestations later on, they think was like Hearn or oh. turned into Hearn. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. see there's there's a lot that I missed. I'm guaranteed there's a lot that I missed. But um it's pointing me in a lot of neat directions. Um one one of the things and I wrote in my notes and, and you guys have both touched on it is how he was able to switch from kind of a comedic type of a thing to a much more serious kind of a thing in in the book, and it was never a problem. I'm, you know, it, it was like you never settled in where you said, "Okay, this is a comedy," and then mm-hmm. you said, "Oh, this is a tragedy," or "or this is going to be a horror story." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Th- it, it was kind of all of that, but it was smooth and it really worked. 
um, I was really struck, I was really captured by the very first chapter, um, because that was, you know, very difficult thing to read. But, yeah. um, you know, and um, we're talking about the, uh, the car accident and what happens right after and And it's, it's just so well written. And then, um, once they get to the underworld, um, there are things like a diner where they go and they <laughs> eat waffles, you know, but it, it sounds, it, it's comedic. It's definitely Or the comedic. ferryman with a big blo- uh, chunky cell phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. He has um, to call his boss. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> they it, don't it have was, coins. Like, can I let them in the boat? Yeah. yeah, but it was fascinating to me, and it's probably worth a reread just to kind of notice the flow of what he did, um, mm. because um, I thought it was kind of remarkable. As I was reading it, you know, um, going from a comedy to a a, a horror story, um, I recall. Um, gosh, was it? The uh, the witch we've mentioned the witch and the bones mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. I don't know how detailed we want to get, but then from there to the diner. Um, I mean that that could be a really jarring transition, but it wasn't. And why wasn't well, it? Is what I want to know as someone who likes to write things down. <laughs> you know, well, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't know how to yeah. pull that off as a writer. I wouldn't know how to do it. Um, I think. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it before, but I think it's, to me, because he wrote such well-rounded characters, even when they're small characters, so that, you know, one person is not just humorous or scary or whatever. For instance, the shaggy man who's further on, and I think you've probably read that part, Jesse. Um, He has all those cats. Yep. And the whole time they're there, it is rather humorous and light. It's kind of like a little rest period from the heavy stuff that was going on before. But at the same time, you don't know who this guy is. And he, in fact, uh, scares Assam at one point because he's trying to kind of probe him. I know exactly says, who he is. stay out. I know exactly who he is. He's Tom Bombadil. <laughs> oh, well, I was thinking he was – there was a character called the Shaggy Man in the Wizard of Oz books. He's. I mean, he's not. He's not. Uh, I'm not saying he's inspired by Tom. Bom- well, I'm saying, yeah, he's his that- role in the book is like Tom Bombadil. He's he's like the guy who's he's going to give you a, a little rest and a sort of an interlude. Uh, not that this is in a particular mm-hmm. interlude, but just a a rest on the path. And he's both uh, threatening and joking, and you know, he he sort of doesn't. I mean. The only thing that makes him fit is the fact that he doesn't fit, and that's what the, rest <laughs> of the book is about: is a whole bunch of things that don't fit together, but because that's what you've got, you they all fit together. And so his his uh, you know he wrote a note, and uh, that was both threatening and uh, encouraging. <laughs> it was, it was, it was yeah. really good stuff. And I maybe that's it though, because he's so well imagined. I think this book. He worked on this book for 10 years, he said, and probably off and on, I'm guessing. But um, maybe that's part of it is just these characters are very real seeming. To me, they were. I mean, I was just sucked into this world. And and for instance. I'm sorry. I was going to say, um, at one point, I felt like the, um, the kids were too mature. Yeah. Speaking with the author voice, and yet she's. She's in two, grade two, yet you could sort of tell she, she and she can't read, but you can mm-hmm. totally tell she's 
she's her her intelligence is higher than it should be. Yeah, but I, I tell you yeah. now, now that I think back on it, um, I, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but the way that the book ends, <laughs> you need there it. Is a, there is a great deal of maturity, and I'm, I'm wondering if I were to read it again, if there is a growth that happens through the through the whole thing. Because at the, at the very beginning, I felt very certain that she was a little girl. Yeah, um, they, they feel very young. They feel very, very young, but um, maybe that was intentional, is what I started to think as I went on. Mm-hmm. And we do know the boy matures in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, and his is something that we're allowed to see because it's an unusual um, talent that comes forth. Yeah, now that, that uh, there, there are a couple of things. Uh, we've been praising this book and heaping praise upon it. Oh, here we go. Uh, but there are a couple of things that bothered me, and one of them is that you know, he's a regular boy, except he's got this extra ability that we don't find out about until halfway in. And maybe it's going to pay off later. And maybe it'll all come full circle and I'll be, because uh, I'm finished, and I'll be, um, you know, satisfied. But I thought, what? He, he has psychic powers, too. You know, No, he knew from the beginning that his mother was somewhere else. He could always kind of sense where she was, remember? And he could sense where the yeah. father was at the beginning. Yeah, but I thought that this was... This is an amplification. I thought that was like, uh, you know, just... Uh, it, it, I didn't read it, you know, like... I, I, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's interesting, but it doesn't mean anything until later on It's when it's explicitly stated, you know, the, the girl's jealous of, of the ability he gets to stay up late. He can do this, and he has the ability to, you know, communicate with other people through his mind alone or something. Yeah. Wait a second. Where does this well, come <laughs> Since and, you can read it. Read, and she, she doesn't, right? But I'm looking at page 18, which I know you couldn't do. Mm-hmm. But um, because I was thinking, I know he said that, and it's when G is uh, letting herself be read, Darjeeling is letting herself be led to the mother's bed. Mm -hmm. And it says she couldn't hear what he could hear, but she knew better than to pester him. She'd known him long enough, her whole life actually. And she knew that sometimes he could pick up on things other people couldn't. He was good at finding lost things. Yeah. And so I kind of got the feeling that that was always kind of... You know, that's just the standard hero. No, you're you're saying that. That's that's what I was interpreting, you know? Yes, but I, I, I didn't see that it's in there. I see that it's in there now. Well, you don't have to like it. No, I, I, it's not that, <laughs> it's not that I didn't like it. I felt cheated because oh. because I I thought I thought that that was you know like he didn't explicitly state it right at first, and uh, so we get sort of sucked in, and then I I'm halfway I'm like, hey, somebody pulled a switcheroo on me. Where here. did this come from? Exactly. But that's an interesting point made in contrast with Darjeeling because I think that, as Scott said, especially when you see the end of the book, maybe her growth is more internal. And because she's always a little bit more forceful, but, a, but yet a little bit better able to read people um, to me than Assam is. I mean, she, she kind of goes around like a bull in a china shop because of her youth. But she does get a little bit better at connecting with all these very odd people. Now, um, we were talking about how she sort of seemed mature. But she is a little too smart. Well, one of the, one of the scenes that, that quite shocked me was uh, when I was I – w- I w- it didn't bother me until I started thinking about her age again. And, and then it was where she – they're walking – they're just basically just getting into the underworld and 
they're walking along, and she's decided to um, punish her brother by mocking him. And she starts describing everything in the third person. Mm-hmm. So Darjeeling got up, and she wanted her brother to come over and help her, but her brother wouldn't help her. And and I was I was thinking, wow, this is really really great dialogue. It's really <laughs> funny, um, and I really enjoyed that scene. I thought that was one of the best things in this book. And then later on, I'm thinking, she can't read, and she's in the second grade. What does she know about third person narration? You know, like um, <laughs> even though you know we don't get her age explicitly. Uh, one of the characters says she is in the second grade. Another one says she's in the fifth grade, or she says she's in the fifth grade. And, but the point is, is she doesn't know how to read, and yet she knows how to do third-person narration perfectly. Um, that's the author. That's the author speaking and not the character. And it, there's a lot of stuff just like that. I mean, even the boy is incredibly well-read. For, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't you know, state his sources, but it's like uh, apparently he's uh, the son of T.M. Camp or something. He's been <laughs> sitting at the knee of the dad. And uh, listening to uh, all the stories that he's been reading, because he he knows an awful lot about the underworld. You know, that's a good point, because at one point, when he's in Winterly's palace, Mm -hmm. and I wish I could find this now, but there's a point where somebody's reading him some poetry, and he's thinking about, oh, I remember when the English teachers would lure people who didn't want to read in with uh, Ray Bradbury and people like that. Mm -hmm. And it didn't occur to me until just now, when you're in the fifth grade, you're not usually reading any of the authors that were listed there. At least, I, since I can't find it, I can't here say, it but here I just it remember right Ray right. Bradbury. I have the PDF version, okay. Okay. So, uh, which is available on his website. Um, a psalm thought of the school library, of Mrs. Jones desperately trying to steer the students toward more substantial and interesting ideas than adolescent wizard melodramas. Jane Austen for the cheerleader types, Jack London for the sports. Tolkien and Bradbury for the geeks and power dorks. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And then for others, for students who seemed ready to abandon the mainstream completely for the uncharted backwaters of literature, she helped them find Poe and Lovecraft, Gaiman and Card and Ellison, Elliot and Parker. (laughs) That's in, uh, let's see. Which is a little advanced for a fifth grader. Yeah, yeah. If that's what we're assuming. But it didn't occur to me because I loved that. So I remembered it because I was like, that's exactly how it is. You get sucked into reading other things by those initial loves of interesting authors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is their their dialogue together is really so perfect. Like you're saying, Jesse, and even mm-hmm. Scott, I think you were mentioning at the beginning, you know, um, it's hard to read. But, you know, that argument over the vitamin Mm-hmm. Come on. It was, she could tell TM Camp has children or vividly remembers being a child himself mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. we've all seen, and they go in and out of that bickering. And it each time it gets, the bickering seems to me to be a little bit different because they're changing a little bit also. But it's still that brother and sister fighting that they'll drop it in an instant and defend each other if they had to. But. Um, yeah, and I've witnessed, witnessed that firsthand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Sibling rivalry only goes so far, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until the outsider comes in. Right, right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, um, as soon as I started to read this, I realized kind of uh, what it, what I was in store for. 
So um, I jumped on Netflix and ordered What Dreams May Come, um, which is uh, Richard Matheson's Underworld novel. Um, well, oh. It was a movie based on Richard Matheson's. I was um, I looked on Wikipedia after I watched it because I was wondering, you know, how how close is this to Richard Matheson's? Because I haven't read Richard Matheson's novel, and uh, Wikipedia says uh, not very close, unfortunately. Um, in fact, let's see. There was a quote from. Um, probably won't find it now. Oh, here it is. When asked his thoughts on the film, Richard Matheson said, I will not comment on what dreams may come, except to say a major producer in Hollywood said to me, they should have shot your book. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, I assume that he, that means this is not what he wrote. Um, but there were a lot of parallels to Assam and Darjeeling. You know, there was a car accident and um, one parent left alone. But it, but it was still different. Um, I learned some things that surprised me. Um, Richard Matheson seems to um, been, have been some kind of a spiritualist type person. Um, huh. Uh, he, he said that there's a lengthy bibliography in the novel What Dreams May Come. It says in an introductory note, Matheson explains that the characters are the only fictional component of the novel. Almost everything else is based on research, and the end of the novel includes a lengthy bibliography. So wow. um, that's that's on the Wikipedia entry for the novel version of What Dreams May Come. So that was really interesting to me, um, but it differed it differed quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I thought it was going to be the same kind of a thing, and and the setup I guess is very similar, but what they encountered in in the underworld was it, it was it was a lot different because. Although some of the... Well, actually, I don't even remember if there were any mythological characters. It was more of a life-after-death thing. Um, I think that that's the research... Without having the novel in front of me, I think that's the research that he's talking about, is he um, read a lot of life-after-death experience books, you know, where people say, I saw this and I saw that, and, mm-hmm. um, and how... Um, he used that to build his underworld rather than using Dante to build his underworld. Although there were some really Dante-esque uh, <laughs> images in that movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. No, I haven't. There's one part in that movie where um, Robin Williams, who's the main character, has to walk across the faces of a whole bunch of people. And it's oh. just like, holy cow. You know, they're all faces and they're looking up and they're all talking to him as he's walking by and he's trying to pick his way through them all. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what dreams may come, just as a summary of that, um, uh, this couple, soulmate type, totally in love couple, has a, a couple of children, and the children die in a car accident. Okay, they're broken up, of course. Four years later, he's on his way home for an anniversary, and he dies in a car accident. So now she's all by herself in, in the world. And he, of course, is broken up and he's worried about her. Anyway, she ends up committing suicide. The suicide ends up going to hell. But there's a lot of description and stuff, even in the movie, about um, hell and creating things in your own mind, etc., etc. So her problem is uh, she can't forgive herself. The the whole reason she killed herself was because she couldn't forgive herself for the death of her kids. She felt like she should have been driving. And then the death of 
um, her husband, she just couldn't deal with it. And when she killed herself, she ended up in her own little piece mm-hmm. of the underworld mm-hmm. that she created with her own mind, and she couldn't break out. So the, now it's the, the, starting the, to sound like Inception. <laughs> oh, that I haven't seen yet. That I haven't seen yet. I can't. I won't wait to see uh, that movie. You must see it. I won't say any more, but Fantastic. you must see it. Oh, I really oh, want to. Okay, so the, so the film, the film then is about Robin Williams deciding. Okay, he's going to go get her. Uh, he he's dead, of course, okay. and he's going to go get her. So he ends up having to go to that part of the underworld, and that's where he ends up uh, in okay. kind of a Dante type of a world, but. But it was interesting. It was really interesting to see those images, you know, right after I finished reading this book. Um, but the <laughs> book was different enough. It wasn't the same thing. It, I was struck more by the differences than I was the similarities. Because, yeah, there was car crashes and there was uh, people dying and there was one parrot left alone. Yeah, I mean, those things are all the similar, so the setup is similar. But I think what happened in the underworld um, was more interesting I think in this book than it was for me in the movie although I found the movie to be fascinating too it made me think um, you know it's it's sort of a tradition to do this you know you go into the underworld to get your your girlfriend or your wife or whatever right. um, I was thinking that a person who who hasn't done it or it hasn't been done which would really work is Edgar Allan Poe and his wife um, oh. yeah, Edgar Allan Poe as his I mean that's practically what all his writing is about right yeah. is, yeah. is about yes. the death of his wife Virginia and if if somebody had uh, written you know written uh, Poe's first person account of of his attempt to uh, get her back that would be um, that would be a, a good book I'd yeah. want to read that hey what was the name of the podcast where uh, it described Poe's death uh, that that'd be um uh, the short history one that I'm yeah. drawing a blank on. Yeah, uh, is that one that's about ten episodes or something about Poe's life? No, no, it's just a, I um, a different one. Yeah, it's it's the Scott's. Shoot, I don't, I don't have I can an, see the, the only reason oh, you're I talking have, about Memory Palace. Yeah, that's yeah, the it. Memory Palace. Yeah, Memory Palace. I, yeah, only I think I, I mentioned it is so it ends up in the notes because I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, Memory Palace, but it's so, so bleak so much of the time that um, I find it difficult to listen to. It's a great podcast though, because it it gives it is, you a bleak. slice of something, and it comes with a perspective. It's not like uh, the cold, dry facts. It's told as yes. You know that's why yeah. I stopped listening to This American Life because yeah. it was so bleak. I agree. I mean, it is really really bleak <laughs> i know i think they're, i always think of them as being a bunch of very artsy people who think that unless you're bleak you can't really do it right you know yeah. because every so often they won't and then i enjoy listening but that's why i like radio lab much better yeah 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 i don't um, need, uh, and now that they're always cheery they're <laughs> but they're talking they're just talking about scientific things and how it intersects with human life and they don't worry about if it's sad or happy or anything they have a perspective but um they're not downers mm-hmm. i'm sorry there there you go i wanted happy now do you do you read a lot of general fiction as well julie not tons okay i was just curious because i know i i follow you on goodreads but i haven't seen too much i was just curious because because nah. most of that is bleak as well Yes, and plus a lot that gets recommended to me since I'm a girl is that girly literature and talk about boring and, oh, it's not bleak, but, you know, it does make you wonder about the future of literature ever. Yeah. 
you know, oh, Twilight, I wanted to, I wanted to thank you for the, uh, I'm pretty sure I got it from you. It, it might have been on your Google feed, but it was the uh, link to um, Flannery O'Connor reading um, A Good Man is Hard to Find. Oh, well, I have not listened to yeah, that yet. Yeah, I haven't yet. listened to it either. Dying it's sitting here on my desktop, but... Okay. See, now that is a bleak story, <laughs> but it's absolutely, it floored me. But only if you read it without any insight. I mean, I first heard it when Miette's Bedtime Story podcast did it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is this? I'm never listening to this woman again. But then after a group of us got together, some friends uh, who have a monthly book club with me, and we read a bunch of her stories, and it was when we were talking to each other, and not that story in particular, but a lot of Flannery O'Connor stories, we wound up just laughing our heads off over some of the ridiculousness of the people. And then once you were talking about it, you realize she's doing this distortion on purpose to get us to pay attention to something. Yeah, and that is um, exactly what science fiction does. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. and that, and that I think that, that's why I like it better. Yeah, and we're, we're not. It says something. Flannery doesn't write know? science fiction. I'm not implying that, but yeah. you know, when there's an alien in a science fiction story, it's often to make a point about people. Yeah, usually, often, often it is not. You know, um, yeah. I think the hard science fiction maybe not. You know, they're they're more of a scientifically yeah, trying to see. You know, what the, could this possibly social be? science fiction? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. maybe that's it. But, um, yeah, that, maybe that's why I don't read a lot of regular fiction, because they're just telling you what they think right out there. It's not as interesting to think about. Although yeah, I like that, some. That's, you know, I, I, I've read a lot of general fiction in my life. Not so much in the, ever since I got hooked up with Jesse, probably. <laughs> I think that I've read, you know, mostly, mostly, um, you know, science fiction. Um, but... I, I don't know that it's lost its appeal, or, you know, sometimes I, I want to read another one, um, you know, like I have one on my list, uh, Staggerford, which is one that I've read a long time ago, and I started to read that, and it's it's interesting, but science fiction just has this, you know, I, I can't even say what it is. It, the that, second layer. Yeah, right? it's a, it say, gets that's you a, thinking that's it's great, not all style. That's a perfect way to put it. It's, yeah. it's got... Not only, you know, the, the best science fiction writers have that human story, but they've also got the second layer. That's a perfect way to put that. Well, I mean, even the bad science fiction stories are still good if they've got the ideas, right? So mm-hmm. the cold equations is, is the classic story that I, I hold up as the example. It's, oh, it's a yeah. terribly written story. It's hard to read because it's so clunky. And the author, you know, doesn't do a great job in telling the story he's telling. The messages he's sending are excellent, and so despite yeah. despite its its clunky writing, it still works amazingly well. Now, if you take that same story and take the message away, it's useless, and that is kind of the opposite of what a lot of general fiction is. Is it's trying to be all style and it has no substance because it's just somebody telling a story that could be you know anybody and their friend. Having a, a life change. Now there are there are people who can do it. You know that can draw you in and keep you in. Um, I was very skeptical about some some books, but I tried them and I was impressed. But it didn't keep me didn't keep me with it because once I got the taste, got the idea, I thought, oh, that's a. There are there are ways to tell powerful stories that aren't actually with that second level. And so uh, Tom Wolfe's The Man in Full 
Amazing book. Amazing book. Really draws you in. But uh, it didn't change my life. It didn't make me think differently. It made me uh, enjoy the book. I wanted to see what was going to happen next. And I wanted to spend some more time with the character. But that's I'm not really about characters. I'm all, all about the ideas. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I like SF. I think, and, or even I think science I'm fiction. about both. I think my favorite science fiction does both things. I think I'm right. not. I'm not happy if it does one or the other. I, th- I think I need it to do both. And that's good characters. Favorite. Good characters sure do help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the thing is, is um, Jesse, I was just thinking about it. I've read two or three really good fictional pieces that people have thrust upon me in the last few months, and I really enjoyed them. And they had another message, and I got all that stuff, and that was great. But am I going to reread them? I don't think so. Probably. Whereas science fiction, if it's done well. You do want to, at least I want to reread it because I want to either look further into the story or enjoy thinking about it again, or of course just enjoy the craftsmanship. But that's a good one. We're talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So what about what about fantasy, which is yeah. what Assam and Darjeeling is now? Now, this mm-hmm. this to me is um, it's fantasy of a it's connecting to mythology. It's Bangsian and fantasy. It's, it's a technical term. Bangsian fantasy. Bangsian fantasy. And what, Bangsian? what does that mean? It's a, set in the afterlife, named after oh. the guy who sort of pioneered the idea okay. oh. um, in the early Ooh. 20th century. There's a Wikipedia entry, and I, I, I will label this podcast as such so you can uh-huh. look through. <laughs> very Good. nice. Very nice. But, you know, this resonated with me as well. You know, um, I, I don't read a heck of a lot of fantasy. Um, some of it I really like. Um, you know, I was just thinking, hey, this winter I think I'm going to read Lord of the Rings again. Um, but there, there's a reason that I I like some of that too, and is it the same reason? You know, maybe it is. But, no, but okay. No. What do you I think, think I think the the reason you know I I like Tolkien is because it's it's got that secondary creation, um, and it's it's a fully involved, rich world, and the character is is the world, and the the message he's sending is still there. There's still a message. Um, it's encoded within the story, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's a a powerful message that even if you don't agree with it, you still it resonates and it echoes like all. I mean, it's not all style. That's the the thing is is it's style, but he's got an underlying um, mythology that brings the richness. So I I don't I don't I th- the more I think about it, the more I think I don't like fantasy. It's just there are so many good fantasy stories that I like. General <laughs> fantasy, I guess, doesn't interest minute. me. But there's a lot of great fantasy stories. Whereas if it's truly science fiction, if it's talking about uh, science, the impact it has upon people, if it's not just, you know, blasters and and shootouts, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested because it's talking about how we interact with the world. And, and that can be in the past, in the present, or in the future or alternate dimension, doesn't matter, as long as it's talking about interesting ideas and how to engage. Yeah, and I think that fantasy tends to pigeonhole itself for some of these authors, maybe, because I was looking through, I guess it was SF site today, they had a whole bunch of new reviews that went up, mm-hmm. and every time it was fantasy, I'd look at that first two or three sentence description of, so-and-so is from a family of vampires, no, so-and-so is a werewolf <laughs> of the, you know, no. So-and-so is a, you know, and it's it's thing after thing. I'm like, I could write the story for you practically, and probably not, And but it's predictable. 
it's, you know, it, it's, I'm like, I want to see a new world. I don't want to see the single thing. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's, it's not giving you any substantially new thing. It's just more of the same. It, yeah, because if it's not going to be character, then tell me a new story. And that's not happening. It makes romance novels not particularly interesting. Once you've read one, you get the idea. You read the next one. It, oh, it's the same experience, just a little, you know, he, yeah. he has brown hair and he's, he's seven feet tall instead of six and a half feet tall or whatever. Right. And what we're doing is we're weeding through all the junk of this generation, whereas you look back to something since you said romance, Jane Austen. Pride and Prejudice, she's doing a lot more than telling a little love story there. She's commenting on the social times. She's commenting on characters' interaction between each other. But in the same way that that um, that Tolkien is, is responsible for right. all, the, all the fantasy garbage that's out there, she is responsible for a lot of the romance garbage that's out there. And, oh, and, yeah. And it's not because, I mean, she really set the pattern, right? I mean, all the books are the same. Well, Jane Eyre also, uh, but okay. that's a difference. But uh, yeah, but it's in the it's it's yeah. like same you know, vein. There's C.S. Lewis, right? There's not just Tolkien, but the thing is, is um, she set the pattern. Women looking for a really good guy can't mm-hmm. trust him. That's the that's you know can she, is she making the right decision? And whether how it turns out is very interesting because it's just so well written. Um, you're interested in what's going to happen, but you like spending time with those pe- with those characters, right? Yeah, but there's, as you say, there's second layer and maybe even a third layer. And that's what the really good fiction authors do, too. But, you know, there just aren't that many of them out there. And so it kind of makes me think of, um, I think it was John Thorne one time who was writing something. And he said, well, really, the key is you'll put up with bad stuff if um, you just kind of like it anyway. He says, like, I don't ever find a bad potato chip. I love potato chips. I'll eat things other people will throw away. He says, but I don't like wine, so I only want the best wine because that's all that I can appreciate. Hmm. And so science fiction, maybe that's my potato chip. <laughs> you know, I yep. can put up with kind of like Jesse's saying of uh, I'll take what I can get out of it and call that good. Whereas maybe somebody else could do that with fantasy or romance or something else. They'll put up with it. I won't. Right. Uh, it's it's it uh, might get a reaction from Scott. Let's see. Um I, Wait a I'm minute. List- no, sorry. <laughs> Already? I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm listening to The Long Walk by uh, Stephen King, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Bachman book. And part of the problem with it, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in what's going to happen, but the problem is is there is no secondary layer. I, and I keep projecting them in there. <laughs> um, I, I'm saying, oh, this, I, I know what's going on. It's, it's the Vietnam War. He's talking about the Vietnam No, it's not the Vietnam War. I got that. Because well, he, he yeah. makes it very clear I, that I it's not read- the Vietnam War. I haven't read The Long Walk. Okay. Um, but but Steve, it's, it's Stephen my experience King with in, all Stephen in King. In general, no, that's not my experience with all Stephen King. It is my experience with some of it. But something like The Stand is very, very oh, rich, well. in my opinion. Um, yeah. The Stand Sorry. and It and Salem's Lot, um, probably The Shining. Um, the, yeah. These books definitely are layered. Well, it, it, I found it to be awesome. a little kind of like redoing the stand but well a little bit you know i you know the stand is is such a great book um yeah uh even you know uh <laughs> i think what was it uh, under the dome under the dome they says uh i think one of the blurbs on it said his best book since the stand you know <laughs> and this the stand was written it's like his fourth book you know it was you know 
Well, and he said sure in seventies. It, it might have been early eighties, but yeah, um, yeah. So what, 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 one of the things though that that's in this book that made me think think of this is you know he references the characters are walking along in this. It's basically a death march, and we don't really know as to why they they started on it. And we don't understand the rules. It all sort of comes in as the story goes. But one of the things that I, I you know I'm, I'm looking for that second layer and. I, I, I keep getting re- rebuffed by the text. The text doesn't give me that second layer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that happens is is I'll 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 be listening along and I'm saying, oh okay, this is this is going to be something. And then he'll mention a book. One of the characters will talk to another character about a book or a story, right? And I think, oh oh okay, so this <laughs> is maybe this, right? And so he says, you know, sure, this is like a Shirley Jackson story. Of one of the guys, yeah. and I think, oh yeah, it is. Okay, I got it. And then, no, it's not. <laughs> Nothing. And then, and then, you know, they they walk by uh, a bunch of people who are watch, w- watching them in this death march, and they, he says, oh, this is just like a Ray Bradbury story where people are standing around while someone's murdered on uh, on the sidewalk. And I, I think, okay, uh, wait, that's just you're just mentioning it like it's. It's not about that. So either there's going to be a revelation at the end, which I don't expect because I just don't think it's that kind of book, or it's just the story of what happens when a Shirley Jackson short story ends up being a novel, <laughs> right? Well, that's that's not good. Well, yeah, but no, if those were early, early books by him too. Um, if you enjoy the story, though, yeah. if you enjoyed, you know, just reading for reading's sake, I think it's perfect. Right, but me, I, I don't want length. I want idea. Pack in that idea, surprise me, shock me, and then give me another book. Yeah, and we we've had the conversations often about long versus short, but but something like the stand, I don't think you can pull it off short. You know, I I, I guess Not you could, book, I guess no. you could read it <laughs> and you could say, you know, hey, we we can cut that thing down, you know, to four hundred pages, and and what you're left with is pretty much the facts of the thing, but. But the stuff that the characters go through, um, you know, a whole bunch of different characters, um, you, you get to know them, and, and by the time that the end happens, when these four guys take this long walk to Vegas, you know, speaking <laughs> yeah. of long walks, um, <laughs> you know, you know why they've been chosen, and and um, you wouldn't know that otherwise. I and, I, and, I think I I think I understand uh, the point that you're making, but. It's this. It's the same thing for um, you know the Lord of the Rings. Is the Lord of the Rings could be told in you know, guy finds ring, ring is evil. Guy throws ring in, or guy's grandson or niece, nephew or whatever he is throws ring in into lava pit. Uh, story's over, mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't give you the rich texture of of Tolkien's imagined universe. Right. Um, I, I agree, but I guess if it if if it's if it's the rich texture of the imagined universe that's the message, um, is there is there a deeper message behind the the, the stand? Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's it's epic battle between good versus evil. Period, and it's played out through humanity. I mean, it's an amazing book, it's and the, I remember he said that. How do you know how depressing it is to be told all the time that the book you wrote, you know, thirty years ago is the best book you ever wrote? And I keep thinking, get a clue. I mean, I'm sorry, but all his new stuff just 
I read that cell phone book and I kept doing what you were doing, Jesse. I was like, well, there's going to be something more. No, that was it. It was just, you know, jump out with the chainsaw or cell phone, as it were, period. And I was like, I don't like those kind of movies. It was how I felt watching um, 28 Days Later, which I finally got up the nerve to watch during the day with my daughter sitting with me to tell me the bad jump scenes. And I really actually wound up enjoying the movie because it wasn't a standard zombie movie, even though I know you're not ever supposed to use the Z word around that movie. But I kept also, I kept looking for more jumps. I kept going, oh my gosh, they're sitting out in this open space with their backs to the dark. Oh no. And then nothing happened. I went, oh. And so you're expecting one thing. You get in that movie, I got more than I expected. But Jesse, I could see what you're saying because you're talking about a different book than The Stand. And a lot of, I think, Stephen King's books, they're just not as good as they could be. He's not putting the work into them, you know, or something Mm. to me. Yeah. Just my maybe opinion. he's maybe he's said said what he needed to say and uh, yeah. doesn't now want to say it. But he's, but he's still writing. Yeah. Well, the the <laughs> closest the closest one that, to the stand that I've read is um, oh, Desperation. That to me was the closest one to the stand, and I didn't um, read that. That was an interesting book because he wrote it, and and I I wish I could point you to this comment, but I'm I'm almost positive I read a comment by him in which he said, I wanted to write a book in which um, God exists and the character acts, the characters act as if he does. So it's, Well, that is the stand, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that is partly the stand. The stand is like the gospel according to partly. Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, partly. So, um, but, you know, that so reminds the, me of uh, a movie called The Rapture. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. Okay, well, mm-hmm. that's a that's a, a pretty impressive movie. Um, I just I don't know how I happened upon it. Is it Tim LaHaye? Uh, no, no, that's not I those mean, books. Those no, left behind books. Okay, <laughs> no, <laughs> I was just no. sitting here going, "Wow, Jesse, I have to no, reevaluate no, my no. whole opinion of your." <laughs> no, 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 okay, no. <laughs> okay, so the yeah, I would have to reevaluate my opinion of me too. That <laughs> stuff. No, this is uh, David Duchovny and Mimi Rogers. Um, Oh, playing, I've heard of that. Playing sort of a um, uh, a rudderless couple, um, and they find they find that yeah, it says telephone operator living an empty, amoral life finds God and loses him again, and uh, basically they they're you know living a empty existence, and then they find religion, and then the rapture happens, and the rapture is just like it is in you know uh, the the gates of the prison open up and all the things that happen in the rapture happen in the movie and and the so you you've got this investment in the characters who you know uh, that plays just like a straight movie straight drama up to the point of the rapture and then you say oh what are they on drugs what's going on no it's <laughs> happening right and and just that experience of well that's well that cuz that's what it means um <laughs> Is 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 troubling for them and it's troubling for the audience, um, and it's 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 a it was a, a a big surprise movie. I'm not sure if it got much of a release or anything, but um, it was pretty impressive. Hmm. When, yeah, you know, I'm, you're watching late at night and you you stumble across something and and you're just not uh, not expecting it. That can mm-hmm. be more powerful than than uh, something else. 
you are expecting. Actually, uh, going back to the book, uh, Simon Darjeeling, um, I was very unimpressed with the opening uh, couple of chapters. I thought, oh, okay, so we've got this family, not interested. And then we've got the car accident. I said, oh, well, okay. Well, uh, there's going to be, you know. A... And then it, oh, they're in the underworld. Hey, this is interesting. I thought it was general fiction. And I thought, how did we end up reading this? <laughs> like, Julie, what did you do to us? I know. I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to have to slug through this, am I? And then, <laughs> and then my opinion radically changed after I realized that it was, it was going to be uh, a story of, you know, sort of the epic underworld journey. With all I that found it and all interesting that from the first moment that they were like fighting against this cotton to uh, try and when they're uh, injured get out of their bodies. I guess is what was yeah. going on there. But even so, that's not like right away, right? It, it's, not, it's no, no. And I have to say, you sit down and you start reading, and you say, "Nope, not for me." Right? Just because it's not, you know, the first page doesn't give you anything. Yeah. No, I have to say, I, so I, I, I don't know how you lucked into reading far enough into it that I I would come to enjoy it. Because if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> How did you persist to the point where... Well, I don't think it... You know, I really liked his narration style, for one thing. And I usually... If I'm reading a book, a book this big, I would probably give 75 to 100 pages before I gave up if I didn't like it. I'd try to give it a fair chance. Smaller books, I'll give 50 pages. But on podcasts, I'll try to give a serialized novel two to three episodes. Oh, I guess if they're just, really just long, I won't do it. it. Yeah, it, yeah. It's so like the first two are nothing, uh, nothing in, into the. Yeah, and the, they're pretty the short setup. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, but his description—I can't remember what it was. I, I don't know. I just was trying it. So by the time they got to where they were fighting their way out of their bodies. I guess that's chapter three, and they're sitting by the side of the road. And then I was like, she's like, are we dead? Are we ghosts? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, that's weird. Now what's going to happen? So that sucked me in. Yeah, it started to get interesting right then. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, wait a minute. I, I can almost hear my mother. Where is she? And that's when he starts following off, and she's like, okay, well, I'll just go with him because he's weird like this sometimes. So um, I, I had a question I wanted to ask you guys. Um, if you were a character in this book, which character would you be? You mean want to be or really no, be? No, no. If, if you were, you know, if we had to find a character who matched you as oh. best we could in this book, who would it be? Because mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of struck me as I, 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 I don't know how I came across this answer, but I thought, oh, that's me in this book. <laughs> and then I thought, oh. Well, that means this is, this is Scott and that's Julie. And I thought, oh, oh no. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? Well, that's uh, – what. who do you think I am? Well, wait a minute. This is You've had time to think about this. Yeah. I don't know. I thought about it and I was like, oh. I, I was like, oh, I'd like to be Sarah, but I'm afraid I'm probably Darjeeling. No, that's not who I put no? you No? Okay. At. Uh, well, Scott, I penned you as the ferryman, and I'm not oh. sure why. I'm not sure why exactly. Is it because my cell phone rang last podcast? <laughs> I, it's not because you're uh, you're bureaucratic at all. It's just um, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the way he spoke. Uh, so I thought it, that sort of came to me instantly, and then I had to think about Julie for a minute, and then okay. I thought, oh, I know who she is. She's Winterly, 
And oh. the reason she's winterly is because she has this husband who's around, but I've never seen or heard. <laughs> oh, not because I'm elegant or wonderful or no. the most great person ever and make a great cup of tea. No. Well, I, uh, my she, husband she, is mysterious she, and missing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to tell him that. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, I figured out who I was first. And Are you the shaggy man? No, I'm Juniper. I'm the, no, I'm crazy, not Juniper. I'm the crazy guy who who uh, who's collecting. You haven't read far enough. You're not Juniper. I, I I'm starting to think I don't want to be him. But <laughs> no, when I first heard him talking. I thought, oh, I I think this is me. That's I would say something like that. No, I think to me you're more like the Shaggy Man because I could just really see you going. Oh, just eat this rice anyway. It doesn't matter because this is how it's supposed to be. It's got another layer of something going on there, you know. Hmm. Well, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to the cats, you I, really hear them talk, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a super cat guy, but uh, no, I, you're not as maybe you're not as whimsical as he is, but I, you could be. I don't know. Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. that's what I thought. If you got uh, alternatives, hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Scott? I don't know. I'm thinking. I wasn't, uh, you know, I rarely think about books that way. Sometimes, some, you know, something will strike me. You know, uh, do you guys ever put actors in roles when you're reading? Mm, no. Like Brad Pitt is this guy, you know. It, it's not oh, a conscious okay. thing. You know, it may be, you know, connected to a movie that I watched or something, and you're reading it, and you're like, you know, somehow that materializes, and then for the rest of the book, that's who it is in my mind. But no, I didn't make any connections like that. Um, I'm thinking though. I mean, how about I, the I, the uh, dragon that washes the dishes? <laughs> <laughs> mm. I, I think we can read something into that. Yeah, we got three heads. Yeah, I don't know. Love rock and roll. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just a, a grasp in the dark there. Well, and that was another one of those moments where it went from something that was pretty comical to all of a sudden they're like, uh-oh, wait, it's so-and-so shift. Oh, gosh, get them out of here. Quick, quick, it's getting darker. Quick, run. <laughs> and you're just like, what's going on? I don't know. Mm. And you actually kind of never really do find out, but it was pretty freaky while it was going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know if this is in any books uh, about how to write good novels and stuff, but I, I think TM Camp has figured it out. Um, there's... A rule, a rule that basically, basically makes any book better, better. and that's talk yes. about food. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so when they're in the diner and they're talking about what they're going to order, I'm not a big fan of waffles, but I, I found the – oh, uh, I wonder if she's going to get those waffles. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, pomegranates. And, I mean, the, the book's called A Salmon Darjeeling. It makes you want to get a cup of tea. Yeah, and Winterly's making tea for everybody all the time. Yeah, but, but there's a lot of food in the book. It, mm-hmm. I think, like um, uh, Lawrence Block does that. He, I mean, they don't really add uh, ideas to the, the story, and I guess I shouldn't be encouraging that because there's not enough ideas for me in anything, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it, it seems to be an effective uh, way to interest me. Well, it's relatable, and plus it kind of helps with – I mean, that's one of those things I wonder if I read a book like this and no one ever eats – I keep thinking, when are they going to eat? And then if they never eat, I keep thinking, well, now where's the bathroom? I mean, I start worrying about those technical things. So when you put some food in there, then I don't worry about the other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> well, when you put some food in it's there. It's the mother in really me, I guess. I don't know. About the other <laughs> um, 
one of the one of the things I also liked is um, I was kind of you know I, I would think of something that he he'd write something and then I think okay so he's developed this idea and this is how the the underworld works and I thought you know they're all eating meat they're all you know where does that food come from so I start <laughs> thinking the economy right and then later on uh, someone else I think one of the I think the boy Assam asks. Um, where does this food come from? I mean, when they die, when we eat this animal, where does it go? Right? And, I, and it made me start thinking about, yeah, if you think about how the afterworld really, uh, uh, the afterworld, yeah, how the afterworld yeah. works, um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like people didn't put in enough thought to <laughs> what, you know, it's just going to be like, you know, it's going to be like this. And then you say, well, what if you're actually there? I mean, they've got bodies. Can they die? Sounds like they can die. Um, if they can die, where does their spirit go? Wait a second. They, you know, it, didn't we just try and solve this problem by making this afterworld? And yet now we've got... So one of the nice things was, while I was thinking this, and I, that sort of made me uncomfortable, thinking, well, this, this writer didn't really address this. Then one of the characters at least comes up and he lampshades it and says, I, I wonder where this stuff goes, you know? He he is thinking about it. He's not just making it like a standard adventure story. He's he's living in this universe and trying to um, not just inhabit it with people, but also think of the consequences. You know, there's a lot of talk about how where the river comes from and what the, mm-hmm. what it's made out of, and um, and it it it's the solution in Inferno and uh, in Escape from Hell is that. This is what happens when you've got a deity. He can do anything he wants, and so you can get energyless, energyless sources, right? And no one can die. Oh, that's a solution, mm-hmm. right? No one can die. You can just be in pain for a long time. And then you come back, you know, if your body's destroyed, well, don't worry, it'll come back. It'll grow back. Right? That, that's a solution. But in here, at least, even though he didn't address it in a science fiction way, it's not a science fiction book, he addressed it in, in at least the way a fantasy book could which is, uh, let's ask the question and then not have an answer. Yeah. Well, and actually, uh, you just haven't gotten far enough, I think, you do find out where the river comes from. Or well, at least a, you know, a good guess. Yeah, we get an explanation, a river of tears, etc. But um, no. Don't tell. Ah, they'll, they'll forget, just like me. <laughs> okay. Nope. Have a drink of water. No one will remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, you know it is. It's it's well uh, it's well constructed for for what is really a very complex fantasy world. Uh, yes, and and that that is you know make makes it a highly recommended fantasy. Album. Well, and I really can't wait until you get to the end because I really want to know what you think because the end does what a good book like this does. It brings a lot of things together and kind of introduces this. To me, and maybe Scott, I don't know if you felt this way. It just kind of suddenly it went to a whole new level. Yeah, I agree. It uh-huh. did. It was yeah, a very, forward. very uh, worthwhile ending. Yeah, powerful. Yeah. I powerful, would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, uh, let me ask this: Will there be a sequel? Please say I, no. I, I would say no. I don't yeah, think I, so. I, I no. Would be surprised if, if he did. No. Yeah. I think he's no. I, I don't like sequels. I think I'm just done with them completely. I think I'm done with sequels. I don't know if that is probably not going to hold true, but I'm trying to I'm trying to think of reasons not to read sequels anymore because they just they never live up to the the first book. 
See, the the only series that I recall that you really liked was Resnick's Starship Yeah, the Starship series. series. But that's... that's uh, yeah, well, that's, that's the same book Resnick, just going on. Yeah. 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 It's the same and plus, story. he's very enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of how I felt about the Jim uh, Butcher books, the mm-hmm. Harry Dresden... And I, I, every time you get to a point where I'd be reading going, oh, okay, I've seen this before. I guess this will be the last one I read. He'd suddenly take it at the end and just twist it. And I'd go, oh, my gosh, this changes everything. I have to know where it's going <laughs> until this last book, which I read and went, okay, I don't know what happened, but that was the last of those books I'm reading, period. Mm-hmm. He just, that was it. But I'll always give a, a second book a try if I liked the first one. Yeah. Yep, I'm still. I gotta delve into the fall of Hyperion. <laughs> Luke says to stay away from that one. Really? He says. He says you'll just be disappointed. Danger, Will Robinson. Yeah. I think. I think Jeff Miller said that too. Kurt Jester was like, I couldn't get through it, but I couldn't get through the first one. I just didn't care about the stories after a while, so I, you can't go by me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been buying a lot of books lately: paper books, audio audio books, and paper books. Um, I picked up uh, Make Room, Make Room, Harry Harrison. Oh, I haven't ever read that. I, I haven't either, but I've seen the movie, so of course I, I should probably read the book. And, yeah. uh, Is that Soy- Soylent Green? Yeah. Okay. They're eating people. <laughs> oh, now you've ruined it for me. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot I'm talking to the only person in the universe who hasn't heard that. <laughs> but it had uh, Charlton Heston. A lot of those '70s disaster movies were uh, mm-hmm. science fiction <laughs> movies. Uh, I also got um, a Mike Resnick book I've never heard of, uh, but it was on sale, and I thought, "Oh, I'm gonna get this." It's called Adventures, hmm. and it's, oh. called, it's a science fiction novel. Um, it says, but it's got like a sort of Tarzan-looking dude and and uh, a mammoth or a, whatever. What's the other word for a mammoth? Woolly mammoth. <laughs> No, it was a mammoth. Elephant? Mastodon. Mastodon. Oh, mastodon. mastodon. <laughs> What's the difference between a mammoth and a mastodon? If if anybody can tell me, please email. I really need to know. <laughs> I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. It just didn't help. <laughs> I was just going to ask. It's, what? Wikipedia didn't have this? I, I, maybe okay. I didn't read it properly. But, um, I got a, a bunch of stuff I've already purchased before, but it's good to have on hand. You know, Brave New World and uh, 1984. The Star Beast. That's one but, I've been meaning to read. Uh, <laughs> read again, is 1984. Yeah, it's sort of. I thought you were going to say the Star Beast. The Star Beast is, is high on my list. <laughs> hey, but it's no, a good book. Is it? No, I, I was writing Heinlein. it down. I have to look for it. I haven't read it, so oh, it's like I'm Heinlein. making notes. It's one of his juveniles. It's uh, those uh, are his better ones. I yeah, think it's a, a a family pet that uh, is owned by um, some people. Uh, oh, wait, I have read that. Yes, yeah. and every That's year, good. every year it gets bigger and it eats anything, and uh, it sort of inherits a new, a new boy every twenty years. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also picked up the Great Gatsby, but not because it's science fiction, but because uh, I haven't read it, and um, I get asked about it quite a lot, so I should probably read it. Ah, I'll be curious to know how you like it. I have a feeling I'd hate it. <laughs> well, that's always been my feeling, so I've stayed away from it. But well, if, I, I felt that way about the Scarlet Letter, and then I read it finally recently and loved it. So 
you know. I wouldn't expect it like that either. No, I was really stunned, actually. And what did it for me in the Scarlet Letter was reading the foreword, which had so much of Nathaniel Hawthorne in it, and it cracked me up so consistently that I said, oh, well, I got to read what this guy wrote. And then when I read it, I always kind of had that image in the back of my mind, and it really made the book flow quite well. Just FYI, if anybody out there wants to read Scarlet Letter, just (laughs) be sure you don't skip the foreword. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.